0: Life is known to throw us all curveballs at some point. For Gabriella De Florio as a competitive D one cross country and track athlete, this was no different. As a one time Olympic trials hopeful, seven leg surgeries later, she turned her passion towards technology. After being a part of different early stage companies, she saw where companies were struggling from a revenue perspective and decided to start PreLay, a platform that is helping revenue teams work together and navigate complex deal cycles more effectively. Today's podcast is sponsored by Outreach.io. Outreach is the first and only engagement and intelligence platform built by revenue innovators for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting, replace manual processes with real-time guidance, and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. Traditional tools don't work in a hybrid sales world, Find out why outreach is the right solution at click.outreach.io slash In this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, Gabriella, the CEO and co founder of Prelay, shares her journey, how she has applied the same perseverance and persistence to her company, and what organizations should be doing today to drive better collaboration to power revenue growth. So, super excited to be here today with Gabriella DeFlorio, the co founder and CEO of Prelay. Prelay is a purpose built platform for revenue teams and their internal stakeholders to work together effectively to drive more revenue faster. So, welcome, Gabriella, and thank you so much for joining me. I'm super excited to learn more about your journey. Oh, yeah. Thank you
1: so much for having me and excited to share a little bit more.
0: Perfect. So I, before we dive into pre let's talk a little bit about your backstory, because you have a really interesting story. You know, you're a competitive athlete, and I'm sure that, you know, your current perspective and some of the values were probably shaped pretty significantly by, you know, that prior life. Can you share maybe some of your pre-tech journey and some of that backstory? Yeah, happy to. I think it's Something that I feel very lucky that I was able to
1: experience prior to hopping into tech. I actually stem from the Midwest, so very much different from a typical kind of Silicon Valley. I, you know, had no idea that I would be making my way up to the West Coast at some point <laughs> in time in my life and kind of making my way to tech at all. You know, in within Michigan, I, I went to the University of Michigan and even as a child, I was always kind of an athlete. A lot of my overall kind of time was spent on beyond just academics, like a lot of athletics and really trying to figure out where my passion lied. And I think you know, quickly learned, especially before hopping into college, that I, I had a huge passion for running. And it was a passion that allowed me to learn a lot about myself and learned uh, a ton in college, as I'll share a little bit here. And I am, again, very lucky that I was able to kind of experience that time period prior to hopping into such a, you know, extremely interesting period within TAP. When I headed over to Michigan, was very much focused on running and still very focused on academics. But my, my mindset was like, how can I become a professional runner post-college? How can I make it to Olympic trials? How can I Able to really put myself to another level by running, competing with some of the best in the world directly at at Michigan. We had Coach McGuire there and he was the Olympic coach. He coached multiple Olympians in the mile, steeplechase, plenty of other like races up in track. And it was something for me that I felt like if I put myself within a group that would push me to the next level, that I would get there. I think that was a huge learning that, you know, things don't always work work out as planned. So for me, my backstory was actually a lot more rocky road than I ever expected. Uh, I headed to Michigan, and actually injured at first, so I started having mm-hmm. some pains in my calves, and I was like, "Oh, this is uh, interesting," but I think I should be able to, you know, get it fixed. And we have, you know, great trainers and everything about. It. But I quickly realized after competing and traveling and, you know, having a great experience that I wasn't running as fast as I wanted to, and it was a frustration frustrating time for me of realizing I could put all the work I want into something and the results might not come out because of physical limitations and so I started you know figuring out that I might need to look further into this and after some diagnosis uh, of kind of what was going on I realized that I had to get surgeries done and at first I thought it was one surgery and ended up turning into seven and so it went from me walking into the university of like you know, thinking I would have all of these goals, you know, ahead uh, to hit, to realizing, am I a runner anymore? And you know, what is my my identity? And you know, what what really drives me? And what is my passion anymore? Right? And so, huge learning going through adversity of figuring out, you know, what's next. And during that time, I got to get really involved into the business programs at Michigan, and that's where I was lucky enough to start to scale out like, you know, communities and organizations at Michigan that worked with the MBA students and BBA students alike and started really building agent, like overall kind of agency towards something and overall identity for myself that went far beyond running and started getting me closer to, you know, if anything, not thinking tech, but at some point tech in my life life, as I'll share more. more. So I ended up actually leaving the university, and I, uh, you know, had to pause my running career knowing that that wasn't going to be kind of a future state for me. And I ended up thinking I was going to go off to Booz Allen Hamilton and uh, do consulting like the traditional kind of Midwestern, you know, university <laughs> mission grad would. And I, right as I was waiting in my security clearance, my friend reached out and I was, you know, very much Bored, wanting to work and high energy as ever, I'm needing to, you know, really put my mind to something. And he had reached out saying, hey, I have this project at this HR tech company. We're trying to scale out this community around like retailers and making sure that we can kind of bring on these hourly workers onto our platform so that we can figure out on the other end of things, how we can start to really automate a lot of these workers. So in the end, it was in hiring of these workers specifically. In the end, it was a company called um, Fountain. They specifically uh, were onboarding Q at the time they rebranded. They specifically were automating the hiring process for you know hourly workers. And on that end, I was able to work directly with engineers, figuring out the scale and growth of a company very early stages. And I was honestly able to not fully commit at the time and work on a project. That's where I started seeing a lot of my passion that I lost with running really coming into play. So I was actually able to Hop into Silicon Valley through there and realized that, you know, consulting wasn't for me. Nine to five wasn't for me. Being able to grow and build something of my own alongside of other people. And I would say on my own, and like more of the department end. I wasn't necessarily a founder at the time. That's where I started getting the taste for passion again. That's kind of how I broke into to tech. So it was a really bumpy ride to get to tech. But as I'll share a little bit more, like we, I ended up definitely kind of, uh, finding a lot of passions here. And obviously that's why I've stuck around for some time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It's funny how you've had to fall into tech, you know, from the Midwest. Now you're out here in the Silicon Valley, right in the area. So, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, working, you know, with this kind of early stage HR tech company, and you probably learned a great deal about, you know, really go-to-market, building and scaling a business. So maybe can you talk a little bit more about sort of that earlier tech experience and, you know, some of those things that maybe you learned kind of through that process?
1: Yeah. So I was able to work with a ton of, like with the CEOs directly and the
0: founders directly.
1: During that period of time, I also got to really figure out how to build a company and a business and scale distribution as the market was changing. Mm-hmm. So uh, the first company I was at, Fountain, and, uh, uh, we were selling to the Ubers of the world, to the DoorDash, all these different on-demand companies. When the on-demand boom was happening, all those companies were flourishing. And I got to see a lot of that kind of come into play and figure out how can we start to scale around that from a pricing structure perspective, from a peer distribution perspective on getting in front of different stakeholders at a regional level Is Um, They're all kind of scaling up different regions and that's how we ended up having to kind of sell to them. So a lot of the overall sales motion and figuring out how do we scale up this process and then figure out how do we actually pair a lot of people along that process was really what I had to focus on um, initially. And then likewise at another company, TrueWork, HR Tech, FinTech Company, very similar case where we were in kind of right when Equifax was kind of uh, coming into play, obviously a lot of different allegations and overall, you know, things that, articles that were coming out about Equifax, and we were trying to come in and really break through the noise and make sure that we were securing employment and income uh, verification data. And that's where I similarly got to figure out the scale and distribution model around how do we figure out on two sides of the marketplace? For one, like for employment and income verifications, like you have background check providers, you have maybe lenders, other people that are having to come in and figure out the the verifications, make sure that they're getting the income and employment verifications completed. How do we make sure that those people are coming to us? And then on the other side of things, how do we figure out how to scale this out to employers? How do we scale out to specifically um, large companies that are needing to process uh, their employment and income verifications, but they don't want to touch all of them. They want to start automating these. So a lot of that scale around figuring out the sales motion as well as also figuring out what what works for top-down versus bottom-up and how do we figure out this kind of self-service model and getting these kind of users to our product, um, but also getting to sort of, the point of figuring out kind of more of that top-down sales motion. You can imagine as I'm explaining this all, it was complex, right? It was a really <laughs> uh, complex scenario of having to figure out, for one, we were collecting a lot of private information. And so we had to really explain ourselves in most conversations around security, overall privacy around the data, ensuring that we were Mm -hmm. implementing it properly with their core integrations. That's really where I started to see a lot of things come into play that went toward Prelay was when I inevitably uh, kind of started later on was really that complexity that came into play, that really complexity that went far beyond the rep how are we able to answer a lot of these questions for these enterprises how are we able to prove to them that so a lot of the like tech experience i really gathered was kind of dealing with complexity of markets complexity of sales and how we can really monetize around a lot of the core process there.
0: Got it. Got it. So let's talk about Prelay. So first of all, I'd love to hear about how the name Prelay was conceived. Like, how did that name even get chosen? So it was a lot of what I just explained. So like on with when we are dealing with a lot of those questions
1: from like the PII information, ensuring that we had the privacy, making sure that we were thinking through kind of security specs that we needed, product questions in general that's where I started seeing a lot of kind of lack of, like lack of sharing inf- information proactively within the organization. We ended up having to mm-hmm. kind of have a huge lag as we are covering questions and needs of the buyer and customer as we are trying to gather this information internally that it started to add up time. And if anything, I was oftentimes the blocker. I was the one that was actually receiving a lot of these questions and ensuring that I was able to get it to the right person within the organization. And so I actually started with like a lot of the and uh, named it that relay specifically based upon kind of proactive relay of information throughout an organization. And it was also obviously, I think a straightforward kind of name that was uh, not used in other ways as well. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, you know, for actually, the first thing I thought, and now it's, you know, been, uh, going on strong
0: uh, since then. So huh. I love that. I love that. So, you talked a little bit about you know how this idea came about, right? Based upon you know your experience in these different types of technology companies and how the complexity of you know how you go to market and how you get information to the right people at the right time. So, can you share a little bit more about sort of that original vision for the company when you know you and your co-founders started, and then if that's evolved or changed at all?
1: Yeah, yeah. I guess I, I can kind of walk you through the founding story. So. Yeah, initially kind of you know, came in unemployed, like trying to build this out, really focus on what was to come, N- didn't name freely at the time, but what was to come in the common industry. And in, in my mindset at first, it was really thinking through how do I ensure that we can have these teams collaborate as easily as possible. And you know, I wanted to go far beyond just collaboration. I wanted to figure out how do we provide insights to management around how. These teams are getting these things done during the deal, whether it's running proof of concepts, whether it's running kind of overall getting a hold of like sales engineers, getting a hold of uh, deal desk. These are all kind of the initial points where I wanted to dive in deeper and figure out the real problems of the industry. I think oftentimes a lot of founders tend to kind of uh, build a product up front without thinking through the end user that um, is inherently kind of dealing with a lot of the problems uh, across the board. So... That's kind of where where I started with a lot of user research. And then I was able to bring my co-founder a little bit later on where we started to really map out the MVP. We started to build out the main product. And a lot of the main product was honestly like, how do we route the right information to the right person at the company? And it was a very basic product at at first, but it was something that we saw ourselves kind of building upon upfront. So as you could tell, it was really ensuring that we were fitting within current workflows. As well as also making sure that we are kind of providing a lot of this overall kind of information to whoever it might be within the organization that uh, would make sense at a certain period. Of time. So that was kind of the initial like piece was how do we bring these teams together. I would say a lot of the initial piece was
0: like mainly SEs and reps. As time went on, we've really kind of expanded within the organization. Got it, got it. So, you know, you touched on this a little bit, but I mean, you know, as a RevOps leader myself, you know, one of this areas of focus is literally driving that alignment, right? Across the revenue team, people, process, technology, data, right? And with the revenue cycle, you know, becoming more and more complex, especially in B2B, right? In B2B SaaS organizations, it's not uncommon, right? To see these silos and these broken handoffs and the broken data stream, right? Not getting the right data to the right people at the right time. What advice, I guess, would you give to maybe CROs or other revenue leaders really to help create that better alignment across the selling team? Like, are there some of those do's and don'ts that you can share?
1: Yeah, so I think... Generally speaking, what we always say is typically what you see is only tip of the iceberg. Like for us, what we typically find mm-hmm. is that there is so much more execution that goes far beyond the current tooling provides. And what else too is when you think about the CRO, right? CRO has to really make sure that, that things are running efficiently in multiple different departments. So it really goes far, like typically they think through kind of like, how do we align incentives maybe Comp from through comp plans, through like different KPIs they need to be hitting, OKRs across the board. But what we really think from that perspective is how do you want to think through how teams can really execute at scale versus just thinking through like aligned incentives? I think overall, especially Mm -hmm. with more kind of distributed teams coming into, what we find is, you know, you really need to start thinking through how your team kind of operationalizes a lot of these deals digitally and, you know, how do you really ensure each leader that, you know, as a CRO that falls within uh, your realm Um, is also bought into that, bought into really thinking through the execution, really operationalizing a lot of these core pieces and really trying to align expectations across those teams. Because what we find is, expectations tend to be pretty far off. People aren't really aware of what other teams are working through. Typically, as you mentioned, the handoffs, they're kind of torn and broken because people are just kind of tossing it over the wall. And what we find there is, again, it's not, it's, it's not that the individuals uh, do not know what they're doing, but rather it's more of just, it's not being fully operationalized, thoughtfully. It's not really mapped out at scale of figuring out what is the best way for us to be doing these handoffs? What What's the best way for us to be looping in these different team members across? And beyond CRO, I mean, even for more role-specific team leaders, just better understanding how your team can best enable and collaborate with other teams is a huge portion. You know, the conversations we have and the overall customers we have that think through this lens are the ones that are really wanting to take hold of the operationalization and figuring out ways that, their team can be running as you know efficient at scale. And so really thinking through that scale and how your team can ramp up on a very complex deal, those deals that might be more strategic, is something to really take a step back on and really think through and think through how they're working with other team members internally. Because again, I think in this kind of remote hybrid world, it's really interesting because I think everyone's rethinking How do we all work together in general, like across the org, right? You have HR, you have, you know, you have finance across the board. How do you really think through through a deal then? How do you think through how your teams work through a deal, especially if you're not in the same place at the same time, right? You might have different time zones. That's really where we kind of come into play is really thinking through how do you really think through more of those, how your team is working together on those core D. And I think that even starts at the CRO level, but obviously you can tell, starts to really break down toward even middle management.
0: Yep. Yep. That's great. That's great feedback. Yeah. Really with the remote shift and as such, it's just really gotten, you know, having organizations really think differently, right? Starting to really think differently about how we coordinate and how we how we collaborate. I saw this statement on the Prelay website that says, Prelay is shifting the paradigm of the revenue growth journey. So how do you think about this paradigm and you know what needs to happen and maybe how does Prelay help? Yeah.
1: I mean, I think it goes back to what we were just talking about is like the remote hybrid world, just shifting a lot of things, right? I think times are just changing mm-hmm. and how people get together, both synchronously yeah. and async. And so really, from our perspective, we view it as like, we really help Follow through on that change, right? Ensuring that teams can still successfully execute mm-hmm. on high-value deals successfully, no matter what, right? I think the biggest thing is you do not want to skew their uh, overall success and goals that they can be achieving just because they're in different locations. I think this has been an adjustment that everyone's had to make, and from our perspective, we actually view ourselves as really, you know, helping to propel people forward as they're trying to make this adjustment from kind of in-person deal-making to kind of full-on remote.
0: Got it. Got it. So let's uh, shift gears a little bit and let's talk about mindset and overthinking. Um, I listened to a portion of another podcast where you were a guest and you were talking about the similarities between a performance in athletics and in sales. So can you share maybe your perspective on how these are similar and how some of the key strengths really in mindset that enable high performance in athletics actually translate really well to high performance in sales?
1: Yeah, I think two things. I think there's really clear analogies with sales and athletics and specifically more performance-driven athletics like running, swimming, things that you're having to hit very clear metrics, time on, just like sales, right? You're having to hit your quota. When that comes into play, it's all on you, right, to perform. And that's really a huge difficulty of mindset, making sure that you can be performing at the right time And really when I think about overall how that compares from, you know, my time in athletics to sales, a huge piece of that is really making sure that you're not overthinking how you're doing things, trusting in your training or practice Mm -hmm. you've done, right? Like with athletics, you're constantly, like for us with running, we're running 60 plus miles a week just to prep for a 5K, which is, you know, a ton of training just to go into, (laughs) into, right, a very, not quick run because 5K is still a pretty long, a few miles, but it's the same thing for training for, you know, selling any sort of product. You're putting in a ton of time. You're having your leaders uh, coach you through the process to make sure that you can be really achieving success in these deals. And oftentimes it's not easy, right? Especially in a performance with athletics, you're competing at a very high level. It's very nerve wracking, right? People might be watching you. You might have certain uh, like expectations of metrics to be hitting, like a certain time to be hitting. And that's no difference with sales, right? You're having to hit these key metrics uh, of quotas across the board. And it's oftentimes not easy when you're doing strategic deals, right? You're oftentimes selling to leaders across the board that might have much more experience than you have. But in the end, you're really having to show your expertise you have within the product and industry you're selling. And I think a huge piece of that is goes into training and making sure you're all well prepared. So I'm a huge advocate for being extremely well prepared and knowing and trusting in your preparedness and that you've trained and you put in all the work that you could to have a great performance in the end. So very
0: similar. I think it's I think it's super interesting as well. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's great. So actually one of the core values also of Prelay I saw was passion lens. Can you talk a little bit more about this value and you know what it means and maybe how it's helped you and your team?
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I feel like overall, like most values kind of at least the roots start with the founder and extend out to the team. So, like for me, mm-hmm. you know, passion is what keeps me going every day. Like, the more work I've put in to be my best and what I'm passionate about, the more I've grown rapidly and just learned. And that's the same with our team. Yeah, I think in general, we try to really find people that are extremely passionate. And it's honestly very hard to find oftentimes. It really does take a special kind of person. Yeah, it's very difficult, right? I think oftentimes people just kind of pop. <laughs> Into jobs and not really thinking through if they'll really enjoy it, right? And I think uh, a huge piece of that is just like really finding that special kind of person that's driven by passion, and really ensuring that through finding these people, we can really help to grow them through them leveraging all the passion they might have for the industry, for the role they're working on, for the market we're working within, whatever it might be, for them to continuously growing their career learning a ton. And I, I think in the end, right, as a collective group of people, we're all kind of working off of our passions to help grow this company. So I think it's something that's at the like really heart and soul of Freelay. And I think it's super important for a lot of companies to really think through of like, how are they instilling passion within the company? Because I think that's the biggest driver for growth.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that quote and that fr- and that value. So as I think about, you know, the revenue engine and think about this podcast, I always hope others will be able to learn, right? How to accelerate revenue growth and truly power the revenue engine. So- if you think about, you know, what are the top maybe two or three, you know, couple of things that you think that, you know, all CEOs or maybe founders should really be thinking about today to drive revenue growth?
1: Yeah. And I think this is actually something that I like a question I get often because oftentimes a lot of founders and CEOs at tech companies tend to be more technical and haven't really had kind of go-to-market market. So whenever I provide some mm-hmm. recommendations here, it's typically kind of top two things are one distribution model making sure you find one that's fit for your business. I think a lot of people tend to go toward trends, tend to go toward things that other people are doing and that they want to try to replicate. But it's all dependent on the product you have, the market you're in, who you're selling to. Like, It's not one size fits all. And so making sure you really understand Mm -hmm. what's fit for your business is the number one. I think another one that's really important, oftentimes, I think a product is super important to have and having a strong one at that is obviously useful to make sure you're providing a great user experience. But in the end, what's really the most important thing thing is positioning. How are you positioning your product or service? That is for one, obviously great for demand gen and interest in your product. But it's also just helpful for understanding in the sales cycle What do you actually do and how can I be adopting your product? And I think that's a huge limitation that oftentimes teams have that they kind of are too small scale with a lot of their positioning of what their products can do. And that inevitably kind of might scale down the sales process, might not be able to resonate with the buyer in front of you. So positioning I think is actually one of the most important pieces of, you know, scaling at a company.
0: I love that. So are there things that maybe you wish you knew earlier or maybe you might do differently? If you could do it all over again.
1: Um, I mean, I think that there's always like
0: in hindsight, things to do better.
1: Like I I think with most founders, like they're always trying to get perfection in anything they're doing. I think a huge piece of what, you know, I've really learned for me, I, I tend to, I love making sure that we can really going at like be running at full speed ahead and making sure that we're making the right decisions along the way. But I think a huge piece of that is really patience especially when you're trying to find key hires, making sure you're patient to find the right ones. I think it's really easy to feel like you need to, you know, quickly hire and um, make sure that you're bringing people onto the team. But what the most important thing is, is actually quality of hires and making sure that it's a good fit for both you and the hire in the end. So I think just patience, honestly. I think patience is a, a hard thing to do with startups. And I think that's the one thing that I, you know, wish kind of uh, done a little differently, like here and there. It's just like holding on to patients.
0: Got it. That's great advice. Thank you. So thank you so much for joining me. But as we wrap up and before I let you go, I always ask the guests two things. So one is, you know, what is the one thing about Gabriella that others would be surprised to learn? And two, what is that one thing that you want everyone to know about you? And I have found that sometimes they're the same thing. <laughs> that's happened with some guests for the same thing, but really, so one thing that others would be surprised to learn and one thing that you really want people to know about you.
1: Yeah. Um, mine might be a little different. So with uh surprise to hear about me, which is funny, I think a lot of our customers and uh, our employees alike, I think most of the time they think I'm can just be chatting all day and I can talk all the time and probably come across as very extroverted then <laughs> But I actually grew up extremely introverted and very shy. So, like, no one would have guessed that. And it's honestly been like the past <laughs> 10 years plus that I've really been just more extroverted and, like, can talk anyone's ear off. But that's, if anything, uh, <laughs> typically a surprise to most of them, which uh, for any, any of them listening would probably be laughing here. So, And then on the <laughs> other side of things with, like, kind of the one thing I, you know, that I'd want people to know about me. I mean, I think in the end, going back to the, what we talked about on the podcast, like I think is you can tell, you know, with any founder too, but for me, I take my passion super seriously. So with running, I put my all in there, and that's the same with Prelay. So my passion, passion right now is Prelay. So for me, at least if anybody's listening to this podcast, if you wanna talk shop in the space, even the B2B tech, tech sphere, I love all that stuff. So feel free to
0: reach out to me. I
1: always love to connect with new people and also just love talking shop about tech and where it's headed and everything.
0: That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing that. And yeah, I would definitely would have been surprised. I think most people are surprised when they see somebody, you know, in your position that says that, but I don't, I think that we've had a couple guests definitely that have admitted to that. So thank you. So thank you so much for joining me, Gabrielle. I really enjoyed your story and just great insights and really just appreciate your time. Time. I hope that I know that the audience will definitely learn quite a bit from your story. So, thank you again. Yeah, and thank you so much for having me.